Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Basically, I am your host, Stephanie Preisner. I just want to, at the top of the episode, because some people don't listen to the end of the episode, tell you that we're doing this new thing with BOMA, which is really cool. The bonus material for those of you who subscribe to the podcast and pay five euro a month. We're doing these Zoom hangouts. So once a month, you'll get a link and then we do this Zoom hangout where you can come in, ask me questions. We have a chat. You know, we just kind of get to know each other in a in a more intimate way. And it's really lovely. So if you want to become a Headstuff podcast member, you can go to headstuffpodcasts.com and sign up. Loads of people requested. Anytime I was like, who do you want on the podcast? We were like, Ross Purcell, Ross Purcell, Ross Purcell. Oh, Purcell. that's so nice. And I don't really like... I know we're pals and we chat. I don't know what people necessarily want us to be chatting about, but I'm just delighted to have you here. Thank you for oh, coming listen, in. I was on the way in. I was like, what are we going to talk about? I was like, ah, sure, I'm an open book. You can ask me anything. We can just chat away. <laughs> I am finishing your coffee. I have to coffee. say, and yeah. I know, you know, whatever, but uh, your stories through lockdown are my only source of information because I kind of clocked it. I clocked off. This might sound bad from, you know, probably mainstream media about five months in because I was like, you know what? This is too much. It's too much to be consuming. And I felt like I would go on my phone and go and read all the papers first thing in the morning and then for the rest of the day I had this like doomsday carrying yeah. around with me that I just kind of had to clock off. But I do, you know, I'll, I'll probably get a highlight of the 6pm news and look at your stories. I'm like, okay, so that's the scenario. That's, that's the what's scenario. going on. Yeah. Okay. And I think, like, I really enjoy, I say this, like, I follow politics and um, what would you say like current events mm. the way some people follow sport I think it's really interesting I know how it plays out I know what's tactics I know who the managers mm. are and so because of that some people just want to know what was the score of the match they don't mm. need to know like ooh this player is being really strategic and was a bit you know got sent off but should have been sent off but the ref was on his side all that is playing out in politics yeah. and some people just want to know what was the score of the match what time that did it end me. and that is so I decided and also when it's in when you're in a pandemic, which we can say now, it's uh, there's a lot of speculation and there's a lot of blame and there's a lot of who's doing what. And it's too much for people. You know what the worst thing was? The WhatsApp messages. Yeah. Oh, my God. The army are going Listen, to be in the streets. Oh, I was like, my, it was like our family WhatsApp. And I eventually was like, anyone who sends that is getting blocked from this group. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, people at the start, I think, thought they were doing a good thing. Like, oh, this is what's going to happen. But I, I feel like everyone kind of you know, copped on quickly where it was like, this isn't helping anybody. No. And people say that to me is like, I get a lot of messages being like, I got this in WhatsApp, is it true? And I'm like, please click on the link and send me the link. <laughs> and then they click on the link and it's like, you know, 
just factsireland.com forward slash SV secret. And you're like, that's not a real website. Please just refer to the HSE. Mm. But also a lot of people can't, you know, they don't, they don't want to read the HSE website. They don't feel confident, you know, going through the language of citizens information. And I'm happy enough to do that. Sometimes it's a lot when I do the Q&As and people are like, can I travel outside my county to collect a dog? And I'm like, no. And they're like, but this dog is a cancer survivor and it has no home. And I'm like, look, I don't care what you do. Mm. You've asked me a question. According to the rules, it's no. It's just no. And then people get really annoyed with me as if I've made the rules. Really? Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I think for people who don't know, like, I'm that annoying person who direct messages you. And I'm like, look, I know you say these for Q&As, but you're my friend. Yeah, no, it doesn't count for friends. And also, like, I do sometimes answer Q&As because... Or not Q and A. Sometimes I do answer DMs because people genuinely come to me and they're like, "I have searched everywhere," mm. and they, it's a difficult question. And sometimes I will, I'll put a question into a TD for someone, or I'll go to yeah. lengths to find someone. Like th- there was a woman, I will never forget this. There was a woman who, you remember, just before Christmas when they cancelled all the flights from the UK, mm-hmm. she was seventeen weeks pregnant, and at her seventeen week scan. They were, she was told that the baby had some sort of fatal abnormality, but it wasn't fatal enough. And in Ireland, because since we've legalised abortion, I think people think that you can just get abortion whenever you need to yeah. in this country, but you cannot get abortion in this country on, after 12 weeks. Mm. And uh, so, unless there's a fatal fetal abnormality, and this was not fatal enough, so she travelled to the UK for an abortion, left her other child with the mother, and her and her husband travelled, and then there was a shutdown. And she contacted me and she was like, I need to get home. I was not on a holiday. I didn't want to be here. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, I just felt I just felt the desperation from her. And they were sort of organizing flights for some people and whatever. Mm. And I was like, who, where do you live? What is your constituency? Who is your TD? She didn't know. She just knew her address. I was like, Mm. give me your address. So I contacted her TD and I was like, look. And and it also helps that, like, I follow her TD on Twitter, on Instagram and he follows me and he knows that I'm not, you know, that, like, I'm genuine and I know what's going on. And I was like, this woman, this is a story. You have to get her on a plane. And she got home and, you know, it was, it's stuff like that where I'm willing to go out of my way for people. But sometimes the DMs are like ridiculous. Like I've had people send me videos of their mother coughing. Being like, do you think this is COVID? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> what yeah, kind of... that, is, that is hilarious. And what I want to know is, I know you're interviewing me, but would you ever run for uh, a role in the government? No, I wouldn't run for, I don't, there is part of me that's like, Go the on. dreams about like being president. president. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I would Not love. Not much responsibility, but. <laughs> well, it's just that. <laughs> Like my goal if I were president was to like, I would like to meet every single young person in primary school and I would like for people to feel like the president was accessible and I'd focus on youth and mental health and not Mm. kind of the diaspora, the people who live outside of Ireland. And I think I could do a lot with the role, but politics, because I know how politics works, is just so torturous. I don't know why they do it. Yeah, I remember I was actually studying politics in college and I can't tell you what politician I met now just probably for their, for their own reasons just in case but uh, they said to me like you're better off not getting into it because you might have all these great ideas of what you want to change but when you get in you realise you can't 
Yeah. And I think that's that's why opposition is so interesting. A lot of people think that. So at the moment, like Sinn Féin, People Before Profit, well, all those parties. it's easy to oppose things. But, it's really easy but, to be in opposition. Yeah. But what would you actually do? Mm. And then I think that there are parties or certainly individual politicians who never want to be in government because it suits them to just be a protest politician. Mm. They just, you know. Well, now, in fairness, it is important that people hold politicians to account. But, you know, there are some politicians who literally complain about every single thing and they get people all riled up. And it's like you don't understand. It's really hard for the government to make these decisions. Mm. Would you so you have no interest in running for anything? Oh, I'm not great at fixing potholes. So, no. (laughs) Yeah. And that's kind (laughs) of what it comes down to. I think, you know, when I was growing up, I had these ideas. The reason I'd want to get into it would be obviously, um, our school is actually fantastic when it comes to human rights and millennium development goals and they were really um, encouraging in us getting involved with I suppose that area and I feel like anything it would have been t- to go towards the EU but growing up now and understanding it I would have no interest whatsoever I do think that like you're probably better off to have a platform mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and talk about those things you know um, and even for me like I'm probably in terms of I suppose animal rights or sustainability having those platforms. Yeah. Because I can probably encourage more people. And I also think that it comes from like from your lived experience as well. Like, you know, if you're a politician and we don't know really much about you except that you're a politician, if you start talking about animal rights or like I certainly would have gotten an awful lot from you talking about your relationship with Mm. food, eating disorders and stuff. I trust you because you have lived an experience, not because you're a politician who then I some assume, rightly or wrongly, that has some other agenda. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And also, like, you know, my all those modelling photographs would have done me no favours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people would be like, you need to take this woman really seriously. And there's me with like a wonky carrot. And I'm like, I love oh, those God. pictures of you. Yeah. Um, I look back and I'm like, what was the breaking point? And I feel like it was, I was doing this photo call and it was for a car company and they had me dressed as a farmer which I'm all good with. I'm from farming background. That wasn't the problem Um, because I dressed up literally as anything. But I was sitting in the car with a sheepdog on my lap, which I love, love dogs. And there was, they had the back window open, okay, where the PR woman was holding a sheep. And on the queue, they'd let the sheep go and the sheep would jump out the back window, right? Right. And there was a llama putting his head in the boot and I was like okay now this is it I'm, <laughs> I'm, like, a, I'm done I'm and I've actually you know I've done like as in worse as in like I've been dressed up as all sorts I remember myself and Bernard Shea I was dressed up in like <laughs> this Victorian like Frankenstein wedding dress on the Haypenny Bridge and he was proposing to me and like the abuse we got oh, God. <laughs> but like I think that was the one where I was like you know I, I can't do this anymore <laughs> and what was the thing yeah so th- those are the things that broke you but like how do those negotiations start? Are you hired like model for hire? So I know when I was modeling in Ireland, it was very much 5 p.m. the day before. Hey, you're booked for protocol. You'd be here at 10 a.m. No other, no other details. And you have to come camera ready. They're going to do your hair and makeup. Do you no, s- camera ready. So you might get a brief. Like I never really got much briefs. But say it might be like, okay, 70 styles of makeup and you'd have to bring all your own clothes and everything. We want these outfits. And I'd be like, I don't have an orange dress. Oh my god! Yeah, and like the main times I have to like run to a shop and buy something, and as well as that, like it's happened to me many times where it's like photo call tomorrow at ten a.m. and I'd arrive and it's like a bikini, and I'm like, oh my god, uh, my legs are not shaved, <laughs> my, oh my bikini god. line is not shaved, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, so like I I remember then, you know, I was very young at the time, like eighteen, nineteen. And I remember saying I'm not going to do that again. Like I don't want to do bikini photo calls on Grafton Street. Like nothing against people who do them, but I don't like 
know, not knowing if I'm going to be in a bikini tomorrow. Because yes. I was obviously at the start as well of my, um, I suppose, tough relationship with my body. So the idea of like, I might have been a bikini for a photo tomorrow was really scary to me. Um, so yeah, I guess. And obviously then like impacts how you live your life. Because like. Oh, big time. Because I'd be like all day. It was almost like I was okay. To, every day was like tomorrow someone's going to take a photo of me. It's going to be on all the papers. So I don't know what. I'm afraid to eat anything that might bloat me. And I have to like, calorie restrict all the time. And That's I so do scary. remember, I remember doing a photo call before and I was just after coming back from holiday and I was probably 19, maybe 20 at the time. I think I was 20. And on my way home from the photo call, I got a call saying, the journalists are asking, are you pregnant? The photos have arrived in onto the desk. And I was like, I'm just bloated. <laughs> like, you know, but like, I was like, that is, you know, now obviously I think people will be a lot more aware and not ask those kind of questions. How do you respond to and that? Like? You know what the question was? Are you pregnant? Oh my God, like they want to know are you pregnant? Like you don't have, you're not in a relationship. So what? Like it it's none of your business. None of your business. But at that age, I was obviously so young. And I know people were like 20 wasn't young, but I feel like. That is young, you're a baby. Like. I feel also, you know, 10 years ago, there was a lot of more naivety. Yeah. And I had just kind of come up from the country and I was very much like sheltered from <laughs> that I think kind it's of those kind of question. Being an actor as well, where you feel like you have to be compliant and agreeable and make yourself likable because you have to get the next job. So you can't say, hang on, who actually asked if I'm pregnant? I never yeah. want them to shoot me again. I never want to work with them again. That's rude. Mm. It's unacceptable because you, you're you so afraid of like, oh my God, why, where's the next job coming from? It's so yeah, disempowering. Well, like, I have to say, I got along with all the photographers so well and even all the photo photographers now, I'd see them and we'd have such a funny joke. They're like, remember that time I got you to do this? And like, they were all very respectful. If I was like, I'm not doing this, they would be like, fine. But you are very much if they were like, okay, we want you to jump into the river or into that, into the water fountain, you were like, okay, because I don't want them to be like, oh, she's really difficult. Yes. Yeah. And then you, there's like, obviously, you know, there's all these photos of me doing ridiculous things now. And I'm like, not that I, I don't take myself seriously, but, you know, I kind of hope that there is a lot more support for models now. I don't think photo calls are that much a thing, but a support for models to be like, you don't have to do that. Yeah. And do you, what was the thing where you were like, did, was there a phone call or what was the moment where you were like, I don't want to be a model anymore? Um, well, I, I, I definitely realised I had an eating disorder. Okay. And How did that realisation come? Well, I guess I always knew I had an issue with food. Like I say if I was with my friends and they'd have like a pizza on a Wednesday, I'd be like, oh my God, I wish I could imagine. I'd be like, what's it like to like eat a pizza and not have like crazy guilt after it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what is that like? And I just thought this was how I was built, you know? And... I guess a lot of people around me at the time were kind of prompting me to go get help. Um, and I don't know, was it... I, I think everyone knew I had a huge issue with food, but I think they really thought there was... I suppose it bled into every part of my life, my relationships, whether I was going to go on a holiday, whether I was going to meet someone for a walk. Like, everything was so centred around what I was eating that day and how I was training that it affected so much of my life, they probably couldn't pinpoint where it had started. Yes, okay, because you know? it was so pervasive Yeah, at that so point. it was just like, you need to go get help. You really need to go get help. And I didn't want to. And this is the thing. Um, and I think a lot of people who have gone through disordered eating will understand this, where I really didn't want to change. Like, my eating disorder was, like, a huge part of my mm -hmm. life. Like, I didn't want to let myself go. Yeah, and that phrase, it's so powerful, isn't it? Yeah, I really was like, if I go get help... I won't be skinny. Yeah. 
and that I'll, I'll let myself go and I don't want to be one of those people that's not me that's not who I am and it was really only when I got help I became who I am it's so powerful I remember and I have very similar relationship like I, I really understand where you're coming from with the eating sort of thing and I remember I was so underweight I hadn't had a period in three and a half years and I sat in front of a doctor an endocrinologist because of course my period had stopped mm. and I was seeing all these doctors and you know trying to work out what was wrong glaringly obvious what was wrong but me not being able to see it because I had been overweight so I thought this was healthy mm. and a doctor sitting me down and saying are you willing to gain weight to get your period back and me saying no she was like, okay, well, come back to me when you are and we can get it back. It'll be no problem. And I was like, but like, I want my period back. I'm not yeah. willing to gain weight. She was like, the only way, I've, we've, we've done every test. There is nothing wrong with you except you are underweight. And me being like, no, not willing. Oh, listen, I had the same experience where I convinced myself I was pregnant, had an eptopic pregnancy because I couldn't understand why I wasn't getting my pregnancy. Like you, I didn't get a pregnancy for like three or four years. A and period. A period. Yeah, yeah. A period, time period. And um, I had convinced myself it was every other reason mm-hmm. but the fact I was like you know some would say maybe you need to gain some weight and I'd be like I'm I'm not even that skinny yeah. I could I could even I, I could, could lose smaller. more weight I could lose more weight and I remember going to doctor and they put me on the scales and they're like you're underweight especially for like your height, your height and how active you are like you either need to start eating more or definitely cut back all your exercise and I was like I don't no way. care yeah I don't care and I remember the really sad thing was I was at a talk with someone and they were like, if you had a crystal ball and you could see into the future, what would you want to see? And in my head, I was like, just as long as I was skinny. And I was like, that's really sad. Because I suppose now I can look back and go, God, that all my family are well, I'm healthy. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just the such... obvious, you know. And I think that my priorities were so miscued. Like my only priority in life was to be a certain size. And I'd hit that number, hit that size, and I wouldn't be happy. I'd have to get smaller, have to get smaller. And the amount of opportunities I turned down because I was like, I'm not ready yet. I can get smaller. Yeah. When my size actually didn't matter. It had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. It's so sad, isn't it? And I do think, obviously, you know, a lot of people think, oh, was it the modeling industry that drove you to have disordered eating? But I, you know, I don't think it helped, but it, I kind of feel like I was consuming so much media around me and I was brought up with this idea that I had to be competitive with other women. Mm-hmm. And I suppose I was brought up in even a friendship, friendship group that was very orientated around being small and diet culture that I think it was just something that was always going to happen but the modeling industry definitely allowed me to prolong it and gave people a reason to why I was losing so much weight yeah. and why my eating habits were It's so a really strange. nice place for an eating disorder to hide you know Oh yeah to yeah say, big time like, and like it was definitely um, my eating disorder was definitely I think uh, glorified and it's something I've spoken about in a way that you know I, I would have done a lot of media interviews and people would have been like how do we get your body and what do you eat in a day and I think now, like, I I, I pretty I would lie for most of it because I suppose I was aware that I wasn't actually eating yeah. anything at all. Um, but it it gave me a sense that, like, this was good. This yeah. is what people wanted that's to see. The so, that's the yeah. fucked up thing. This is how it's always been. Double Love is a podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High, book by book. Join me, Anna Carey. And me, Karen Moynihan as we revisit one of the maddest series of books ever written 
or ghost-written. If you ever read about the perfect blonde Wakefield twins, Elizabeth and Jessica, with their eyes the colour of the Pacific Ocean, then you might enjoy listening to us absolutely tearing them to shreds. Affectionately, of course. But of course. And even if you didn't, there's still plenty of drama, kidnappings, stolen boyfriends, and seemingly mandatory school dances to entertain you. Find us on the Headstuff Podcast Network and wherever you get your podcasts. There's this thing, right? So Carl Jung, who is the psychologist, he also, he kind of stopped psychology after a while and he started looking into alchemy and alchemical theory. And this is such a side note, but he has this theory, his second alchemical theory, which is called second whitening, which is not possible. And it means that white, when it has been touched by any other colour, will never be white again. And I think when you've been that underweight and you have seen how the world responds to people who are small, it's really difficult to recover from an eating disorder because people tell you it's possible, but it is work. Uh, people tell you it's what's on the inside that counts. It doesn't matter what size mm. you are, but your brain knows. Yeah, but people are so sycophantic and so obsessed with people who are in small bodies mm. and it makes you lie. Yeah, like I had, I, like there's still, like I went on TV People ask me, like, how did you lose the weight? What You know, how do you keep your body this way? And you just lie because you can't say like, well, actually, I've got a really toxic relationship with food and yeah. I starve myself and, uh, yeah. you know, I restrict my calories. I and love I'm watching ups. other people eat because it's like my only bit of like, you know, <laughs> part of it. Yeah. And I, I definitely and I suppose we got to this when you said, what was the moment I knew I needed to to stop modeling mm-hmm. when I went into recovery? I was like, I need to change my environment. And like at that stage, modeling was my only. And what brought you income. into recovery? Um, go and getting help. And I think Did that, that start with the GP or Um no, I actually so, And obviously any of this you can be like not answering. Oh yeah, you know? no, no, I, I I'm so open about this because I think I only started speaking about my journey with disordered eating once I recovered. I yeah. don't think I would have been ready beforehand. No. I think it's because I probably wouldn't have been able to reflect mm-hmm. and and probably give my true side of the story and be very open about it. But I went to therapy probably at about twenty four and this was because um, someone close to me was like, you really need to go to therapy. And I was very against getting better. So I kind of danced around the issue mm-hmm. of having any disorder with food. And I spoke about everything else. Um, and then a year later, my sister got diagnosed with cancer. And I think the first time in my life where I didn't wasn't thinking about myself or food yeah. or what I weighed. And my all my, I suppose, energy was really on, on how else. she was. And it really started to make me think about body functionality. Like she had been living with cancer for two years undetected. Well, she just hadn't got her bloods done, um, which is a reminder, <laughs> keep on top of your health. But, um, and she had done so many amazing things with, you know, we had done triathlons and all these things and her body was like fighting a battle for her every single day. And it kind of, for the first time, made me think about my body not just being for show or not just being a number. And I still didn't want to recover, but I was like, I would like to be nicer to myself because I think what I've realized this year as well, that all I have is myself really at the end of the day, like people will come and go out of your life. And if you don't actually like yourself, you're never going to be happy. And I was a really, really unhappy person. And I kind of, what's really sad is during my eating disorder, I was one of those people that I come into room and you'd probably be like, oh like bad energy you know like yeah. oh god Roz is here like sh- especially if there's food around like I just make it awkward which is so mad because I didn't know you at that time yeah. and like my perception of you now is like uh, from following on Instagram and also just from being your friend that like when you come into a room you're so 
other focus you bring such energy and you're interested in other people and you listen so when you describe that version of yourself it's it's almost incongruent like totally opposite yeah and like I'm I guess I realised like I want to be the person that when I come into a room people are like she's here and I'm yeah. like I'm here <laughs> and I'm actually here and I'm not going to overshadow this great time with food guilt or guilt or worries about what I look like and I think the biggest thing for me learning was I know people say it in recovery like what your weight doesn't matter you know but like when you meet someone, the biggest impression you can leave is if you're a kind person. And I, I totally get that society definitely rewards that kind of idea of having the perfect body. But like, I do think it is changing and it, it really takes everybody to break the mold mm-hmm. and to stop posting about diet culture and stop perpetuating. It annoys me so much. Yeah. And you know what? It's like, so disappointing when people that I follow... And I like start posting shit about how they need to lose a COVID stone or it's summer and I need to. It's like, I can't follow you anymore. I can't. And I totally get that. Like, you know, there's that whole thing of like all the memes going yeah. around, like before lockdown, after lockdown. But that can be really detrimental to someone who's recovering from a disordered eating, someone who's, you know, finding their relationship with food has been really challenged this year. And, you know, so it's just for someone out there who's listening, like, just think before you share those things. It may not affect you, but it could affect somebody else. And like, so what if we come out of this and we just need some bigger pants? That's yeah. a success story. You've Do you come know what out mean? of it like, like millions of people have died. 20 years time, you know, if someone asks me, like, if I have a kid or whatever, don't know, will I, but if I have a kid and they're like, oh my God, what was COVID like? I'm like, sure, just just need new pants. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and I think... I have changed so much from the person I used to be. Like I look back and I'm like, what? It's like I was a different person. And I suppose I only really noticed that when I was out the other side and how I knew I was ready to talk about it was I was walking with my sister one day and my old sister, Rebecca, um, and she was like, we were just walking through the mountain. I don't even know how she brought this up, but she was like, she was much, she's much older than me. She's like seven or eight years older than me. So we would have spent a lot of time when we were, younger but mm-hmm. when I was a teenager she kind of went off to college and we're like best friends but I suppose we wouldn't have probably been as tied as Rachel and I because we were very close in age and I suppose I started coming home a bit more in my 20s when I was modeling and she was like it was really sad like growing up you were kind of this like wild like bubbly child who was like always mischievous and then in your early 20s you just turned into this really really pretty much negative person who always like I was very bad in that I would comment on other people's weight comment on what they were eating mm-hmm. couldn't have any enjoyment in life because I was so wrapped up in what was going on with myself and my body and then she was like and I actually didn't go home a lot when I was going through disordered eating because I didn't want it to be out of control mm-hmm. and I think anyone who's been through um, any sort of disordered eating understands that your routine is so sacred like you just need to be in control of your food so when I was going, when I'd go home, I'd be really, really scared that like I would overeat, especially because my family would be like cooking whatever they wanted. And so I wouldn't go home that much. So I think it was like, I had spent a few years like not really going home that much, maybe for occasions. And I obviously would ruin it because I would feel so guilty and then feel like I needed to like spread my guilt out. And she was like, and then all of a sudden, you know, you just, came back to you the teenager yeah she was like it was just like your eating sort of completely switched your personality yeah it just robs every bright part of you mm-hmm. I remember like my biggest regret and the the thing that it, my eating disorder stole for me was 
just when you say it there about like being so in control, my grandmother, who everyone who listens to this podcast, and who <laughs> everyone from Instagram knows, was my best friend. And she had a 90th birthday party. And I didn't go because it was a meal. And I just couldn't control what wow. was going to be. And like, for me not to go to my grandmother's yeah. 90th, that's what it robbed for mm. me, like, you know? It's just such a powerful disease. And anyone listening to this who like, you know, there is a difference between using food as a coping mechanism to get through a pandemic and 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 having, you know, an eating disorder like Roz and I are discussing. And there are spectrums of it. And But if you feel like you're relating to any of this, there is so much support out there. There's so much support. And what I would say, first things first, go follow BodyWise on Instagram. That's Body, they're, W-H-Y-S. Yeah, and they're fanta- absolutely fantastic. You know, they, uh, they post such great informative content. And even if you're listening to this and you think your family member or your friend is going through disordered eating, they post fantastic videos on how to approach them. They also do these free online courses and how you can support someone going through it. And I think that's actually really, really important because back when I was getting recovery, I probably was too afraid to tell someone, don't comment on my weight. Yeah. I don't appreciate that. Please don't talk about what I'm eating. Don't judge what I'm eating. So I went through recovery with family members people in the industry commenting non-stop you look a bit better you look so much better with a bit of weight on you yeah and that's I would so relapse for a year yeah it's you know, really true. because I would be like holding on to that comment so I think it's really important to be aware of your words around other people and I, I know that's very hard and look sometimes I have to catch myself you know when you go to see somebody you look you look never mind yeah it doesn't matter <laughs> you know? how you look it's great yeah. to see you it's great to see you, you um, or you look happy yeah um, and I think as well, like I have, it's really difficult when you're in recovery and you're hanging around with people who are, who don't know that. Like I have a friend at the moment and, you know, she's in my 5K, so we go on walks and whatever. Mm. And she's so body conscious of herself and others. And I have just had to, because I'm not going to start fights and I'm not going to comment and she's on her own journey. Mm. But anytime she comments on her weight, her food or the weight or food of somebody else, I just say nothing. And I think you know, like the sound, the silence is so glaring. I'm like, she can't not notice this, but she <laughs> yeah. doesn't, and she still does it. Um, but it's about the body. Like, so what I'm saying is, if you're listening to this and you have someone who you think has an issue, there's also something to be said for the fact that Roz and I have both said like we weren't ready. There was a time mm. like we both said to doctors, yeah. "No, I'm not gaining weight." Mm-hmm. And then eventually, the day my nana died. The 11th of September 2019 I had an appointment with the endocrinologist anyway Nana died at quarter past eight in the morning uh, and I was sitting in front of the doctor at 10 o'clock in the morning in a different hospital my grandmother had just died and she just said are you willing to gain weight to get your period back and I said yeah okay fine Yeah. She'd give it to me and she gave me this book and I read the book and it was about how you have to eat like a certain amount of calories I don't want to trigger anyone you have to eat a certain amount of calories to get your body back these are the things mm. to get your period back this is why it's called hypothalamic amenorrhea I might do an episode on it Um which is basically your brain is like we're in starvation mode. Mm. You can barely stay alive yourself. We're definitely not going to allow you to have another life mm. inside you. Um, and, and that's kind of how the journey started. But it's it's an ongoing thing. And I would say based on my perception of you, which is always going to be flawed, I would be a few steps behind you. Um, but I think it takes such courage and it's it's such a, you know, it's such a generous gift that you speak so openly about it, particularly on Instagram. And uh, because it definitely does help people to feel like, okay, there's, there is a way out. Like it's like someone's in a maze and you're outside the maze. They can't, you can't take someone through the maze, but Mm. you can be proof because they can hear your voice from outside it to be like, you will navigate this. And I think an important thing to mention is because when I was in it and I would talk to therapists or, you know, I would 
listen to someone talking about recovering from their disordered eater eating and I would say but I'm different like I'm I'm so much different this is just who I am like I'm never going to change I'm this yeah. is when I'm 40 I'm going to be this person I really really honestly thought nothing would work on me yeah so and I know a lot of people out there will, will feel the same because the disease of eating disorder is is one that wants you isolated, wants you to think that you're terminally unique and it wants to stay alive in you. So it has to make you feel mm. like no one understands you, you're on your own in order to stay active in you, but you're not. And, and th- there's also no, I suppose, concept of like, you're not bad enough because I feel like there's a lot of times when people would say, I need to go get help. And I'm like, I'm not that bad. Yeah. But now that I'm out of it, I'm like, oh, I was really bad. So like, I don't know what I was waiting for. How many be, more rock bottoms did you need yeah. to hit? Like, and I do think, like what you said, like there is a time when people are ready. And I always feel like for you and I, there was a moment that mm-hmm. we were ready. And it was a terrible moment in our lives that made us realize that our body and what number it was, wasn't the most important thing. And I, I, I kind of feel like I wish I could just put it in a bottle and, you know, like to help someone be, that to be the catalyst for them to want to get help. And it's very hard because... You can't push anyone into it. No, you can't. They'll just resent you for it or else become more secretive about it. And it's mm. a really secretive, shameful yeah. problem. There's a huge amount of shame around it. Like, and how mine started was typically, which is so, as I said, glamorized right now, diet culture. I started on a diet, which I couldn't, I would end up binging them because obviously restriction leads to binging. And I would get sick. And I had so much shame and the shame was actually not the fact that like I was getting sick. The shame was like, I can't even do a diet. Okay. I can't even just restrict my, I have no willpower. Um, And there's so much shame with it. And that's why you just hide it and hide it. And I, I, I As guess, in you would binge until getting sick or it was more of a bulimic trait? Bulimic. Oh yeah. Yeah. And from bulimia, it, it entered then into anorexia. And I feel like when the whole health food buzz food blogs came along so it, easy it, to hide behind those yeah isn't it? it was really easy to hide behind I suppose just li- living a really clean lifestyle you know um but and that's I suppose why now even I'd never like, I hate seeing what I eat in a day videos yeah I'm just like come on guys because that's but it's also so it's it and it's something that I really struggle with right because my brain won't allow me to believe it, even though I know the science behind it. If you and I were, I, we were tied together with mm-hmm. cable ties and handcuffs for a year and we ate the exact same thing and did the same amount of exercise because we are tied to each mm-hmm. other, we would still have different body types yeah. and we would still weigh different things mm-hmm. that like different bodies have different weights and they sit comfortably at different weights. So like the weight that I got to to when my period came back is going to be different for someone else yeah. when their period might mm. disappear. Um, so what I eat in a day is so unhelpful because what you eat in a day is not what I need to eat in a day, maybe. Yeah, and I, I guess from my own personal experience, I used to um, cut out sections of, and I, I know all the Victoria's Secret models used to do them for magazines, what I eat in a day, and I would be like, okay, that's what I'm going to eat now. That's what I'm going to eat now. Yeah. And they would have their, what I eat in a day and their measurements, and I would like try to meet those measurements. measurements. And even when I would, I'd be like, I don't have the same physique. Yeah. And it's just, I just think it can, for a lot of people, not everyone, but for a lot of people, it can really, I suppose, spiral them. Yeah. And they've put, they've put laws on like those sort of things now and what a Victoria's oh, Secret they? model. Well, there are laws about like not being able to hire models who are clearly 
uh, you know, mm. having struggles or, or underweight or, or not promoting a healthy body type. Yeah, it's very hard though to but do it. But it is because, because some people are just naturally very, yeah, very and, thin. You know, you don't want to be skinny shaming either. There's a lot of people and I, I do think that there's an argument for, I think now online, like I never anymore will do side by sides of me while I was having an eating disorder and how I, I've recovered and what I look like because obviously that's going to be the most capturing photo a side by side of like me while I was suffering through my disordered eating and now but it does lend into skinny shaming and there's gonna be lots of people who have that physique absolutely naturally and it doesn't make them any less of a person you know what I mean yeah. and like and I see it still like a lot of people like before and after through disordered eating and like there's comments underneath it being like you look so much better now and like what does that do to the person who naturally has yeah. a, a small frame you know um so that's something I've learned through my journey as well in recovery like to look at both sides and just to make sure that you are keeping in mind all different types of bodies, you know, like, and I guess for me, and I think we're very similar in that, like the last thing I'd ever want to do is offend someone. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people are like that, I think, yeah. Ross. And I think while, you know, people who are listening to this podcast now would probably be like, I would never comment on Stephanie's body type or Ross's mm. body type. But then consider like, did you retweet something about Donald Trump being fat? Because, yeah. because he didn't see it, but you know, some people yeah. who follow you did see it and they say, oh, well, if she thinks that it's funny that Donald Trump is fat or that's something to comment on, even though we all don't like him, then obviously fatness or body size does track with that person. So I need to be careful in front of that person yeah. because they're looking at me like that too. They're just not saying it. And so I, I also, think, sorry, I also think that there's like this huge issue that as a society, we think of fat as a bad word. Yeah. And, you know, I've actually learned, I, I remember doing a podcast with uh, Louise McSherry and she just was like so eloquent just speaking about how we need to break down that um, and tackle our own internalised fat phobia, which is something that I did a lot of work on when I was recovering from an eating disorder because it's not something anyone ever wants to admit. But like, I think for most people, well, I know for myself, sorry, I'm only going to speak about myself, not for most people, but I, that was something I really needed to tackle. Yeah. Um, and my beliefs about what bodies should look like. What body should look like, or what it means when someone yeah, looks exactly, a certain that's way. What I mean, what it, what it the means. assumptions you make about that person. Yeah. I remember when I was overweight, and I think at my top I was like twenty three stone, and doctors like I had health issues that were not related to weight. Mm. But when you were that like when you're that weight, people just wouldn't take me serious. Everything was down to weight. Um, but interestingly, I had more health problems when I was underweight yeah. than anything when I was um, when I was overweight. Um, on Instagram, do you find kind of segueing a little bit? What are the, what are the most, what's the kind of topic that most comes up on your Instagram with people's messages and comments? Well, I think now it is definitely morphed into a bit like hiking. Yeah, you know, because that uh, that's refreshing. And, I yeah, guess. it is. It is refreshing. You know what? Um, and I, I do get a lot of relationship questions. I feel like I, feel I like, love those. <laughs> yeah. you should, have you, know you been what? asked by anyone to do like a like an agony aunt? An agony, no, column. I would love that. But at the same time, I kind of feel like, you know, I love agony aunt sections when they're done by like, you know, someone who's like in their sixties. Yeah, and yeah. Like has really, you know, like lived, lived, <laughs> lived life. You know, um. But I guess like I have my own experience, and I suppose is that why do you think why do you think people ask you relationship advice? I've had a lot of boyfriends. And, and like, is it because those relationships have been in the public eye or? or? Um, no, like, God, I feel like only really one or two has, you know, okay. there's, but like I've been a serial dater since I was the age of 15, you know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> like a serial dater. And I've been ghosted a lot. I've had such bad breakups and I've had good breakups. And I guess the big thing is I'm open about it all. Yeah. 
you know obviously like you need to respect other people's privacy and I don't get into details but I suppose what I would suggest doing yes having gone through a similar scenario Mm -hmm. and I suppose uh, and sometimes look there's sometimes things that I don't know and I'll open it up to give people what advice have you been through this and I think a huge question I'm getting asked now is friendship breakups and that's something I think oh, is as so we don't talk about enough because we talk about breakups and how to heal from them but friendship breakups are so much worse I remember multiple people involved yeah, talking about that during Can't Cope Won't Cope and the reason that I wrote it which was that I have seen so many television shows about how a girl breaks up with a guy or vice versa and I had no templates, no roadmaps for what to do with a toxic friendship. Mm. And I've had so many of them. I've been, you know, kicked out of WhatsApp groups and had girls like, like really toxic stuff mm. that affected me mentally. Um, But it's so hard to break up with a friend because there's no, you end up just kind of ghosting each other and it's happened to me yeah. so many times and it hurts it's got it's that pain in your tummy that you had in fifth class mm. when you knew the girls weren't <laughs> going to be talking to you the next day you know yeah and I think it's one of those things where there's a lot of um, there's a lot of negativity around it like you know you're saying oh I've had it so many times where I've had a friendship breakup and people associate that with a bad thing mm-hmm. but it's not always a bad thing. Like sometimes people just grow apart, you know. And I think there's a lot of shame around it, and people don't talk about it openly because they're like, "I must be a bad person." That yeah, like, I can't like we're not friends anymore. Yeah, means... we're not friends anymore. Whereas, like, I always try to think about it. there's people come into your life for a reason and they leave for a reason, and they you both give each other something, mm-hmm. and that's just like how life goes. It's it's like a it's time cycle. cycle. It's a cycle, you know. And unfortunately, it's really crappy, especially if you live near them and, you know, you have the same industry because you're going to have to keep running into them. And, you know, I've had it where maybe it's like you where I've been friends with someone like really good friends with them and I've heard stuff they've been saying about me. And I've had it where I've confronted them and it's like gone really bad or I've just ghosted, ghosted them yeah. and said not like completely ghost them but I've just been like hey look I don't want to hang around anymore and they're like can we talk about it what is it and I'm just like I'm not I don't actually because then I'll have to tell you who told me yes I don't want to go there (laughs) I want to preserve that other friendship (laughs) yeah and it's very difficult because you know I would be against ghosting because I think you're not giving anyone closure and it also leads to speculations like Mm -hmm. oh my god more rumours about it but I think that you need to prioritize yourself and protect yourself and have boundaries with it. Um, but And there's going to be no easy way. There's actually no easy way. So you just have to pick the one that's going to probably... Serve you the best. Yeah. It's so difficult, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, even I've had friendship groups in schools where, like, we've just drifted apart. They've all stayed friends, but, you know, I haven't. And it's because I took a different life route. And I'm always like, God, I wish I kept in contact with people better. I'm like, but they didn't keep in contact with me either. Yeah, the phone is a two-way <laughs> so it's system. it's not my fault, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it, I, that is the thing, like, I do feel guilty, particularly in, in COVID. And I think COVID has really put a spotlight on friendships, right? Hasn't it? Where I'm like, if I haven't talked to you since, like, <laughs> pre-pandemic, when we come out of this, like, really? Are you going to, are we, is this something that we need to revisit? Or if we survived the biggest global crisis we've ever experienced, mm without each other maybe it's time to leave it now maybe like I've got serious abandonment issues so like I'm kind of like if I get the sense that you're going to cut me out I'm going to cut and run because I need to protect myself oh my god I'm a psychopath I am a nightmare yeah because I'm so I call myself the needy bastard because it comes out me sometimes Mm. where I'm like just like me please just like me and then 
if I feel that they don't, I have to do a lot of psychological gymnastics yeah. to like protect myself from the fact that someone might just not like See, me. I'm totally the opposite. Whereas I'll be like, yeah, we're friends. But like, you'll be like, but you never text me back last week. I'm like, oh, sorry, I text you back in my head. Sorry, this always happens to you and me. Yeah. <laughs> you are terrible I'm on your phone. Like, oh God, oh God. Okay, now you're telling me that you take this really <laughs> And I'm like, no, I think Roz isn't going to come and do the podcast because she hasn't texted me back. He's like, she could be just busy. And I'm like, no, because she says that she's lying on the couch with Willie and uh, like, she's <laughs> <laughs> I have this thing where like I really separate my phone from my life as in like my WhatsApp message It's really healthy to have that no, boundary But like so I'll get these calls of people who like will be like oh I have your number for 15 years I booked you for a job years ago and they'll start ringing me about something and I'm just like no I'm just not even going to go there right now because it's like This is my life you don't decide yeah. because you want to ring me that but I have to answer it, if it, It's bad because like I could be getting a message off my, off my family or my friends and I won't see that because I'm just like I'm not going into that app right now you right, know? okay. Um, and I do have this thing where I reply to people mentally. Like, I, it's a really bad thing. Like, my, my friends know it. They're like, oh, I, I, I don't know if you see my text message last week or did you reply to me mentally, but just reminding you. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, but that's that's good to know. And I yeah. also, I think, like, those sort of boundaries to people who have abandonment issues just feel like rejection. Mm, even yeah. though it's totally healthy. I don't have really good, bound- like, I respond, I spend so much time responding to people on Instagram. And... Other people who have large Instagram followings are like, oh, I don't respond to everyone. Like, I couldn't possibly. And I'm like, no, but I try. Um, and that's as the as the account grows and as the demands get bigger, particularly anytime there's a COVID announcement, mm. there's always going to be questions. I'm like, and at the moment, I'm really busy with work. So I have to be like, okay, this is an Instagram account. It is not a public service. This is not your job. You're not yeah. getting paid for it. You have to prioritize your paid work to pay the mm. bills. Um, but do, how do you manage the, the Instagram account? So like, do you respond to everyone? Like there's times of days like in the morning, maybe at lunchtime, I'll go into my DMs and I will answer people, but I won't be like, I have to get through everyone. I'm just going to be like, look, if you're a top list, you're top list. Like, but I think I had to make my peace with that. Like maybe last year. So do you always have a number next to your DMs? Like, do do you always have unread DMs? Oh my God, yes. Like, and I would... I think I had to last year I was like trying to get through all of them all the time like, open your saying, Instagram right oh God, now and, and tell me how many so DMs you have I'll do but, the same um, and I just kind of was like you I was like I'm probably spending more time on my phone than I am with my boyfriend yeah and that is an issue and yeah. Noel is working really Noel works for government and he's very busy at the moment and he's getting he's kind of on 24 hour call you know and so he's on his phone a lot so then I go on my phone a lot and it's just not great so it's like 99 plus Oh wow Requests So that's as high as it goes Yeah yeah That's kind of like So when Luke After Luke O'Neill left I had like 17 So I quickly got back to a few people What And now I have 10 And and I won't be able to sleep If that's a 10 tonight Like, So I'll have to open them all Wow you see like Okay do you want to see something That's really Please is it your emails I'm going to get sick It has to be inbox no, zero I turned off um The I have 11 whatsapps And I'm Notifications on it So I actually don't see it anymore But it was so bad It was like something like Okay do you want to know it? Yeah. 40,000. Emails. Oh, Roz. Like, are they... Now, <laughs> are I some have, of them just like... Some of them are like spam and stuff like that, but that's but are some of them three accounts on it. But are some of them like, we need you to respond to this email? Like, oh, no. I And we'll work stuff, things that are flagged. I will respond as soon as I... Like, let's look at my messages. 98 messages. Text messages? <laughs> yeah. What's my... My WhatsApp doesn't... My WhatsApp now is empty, thank God. Um... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I texted this morning I was like are you still good for today yeah and you See, once back. things are in my diary I'm that, that's happening yeah you know but I mean? then you voice noted me back how do you feel about the difference between voice notes versus text messages 
I love voice notes because I'm, as I said, one of those people that I'm always walking around always like doing a million things at once. So if I can just pick up my phone and send you a message by voice, it's so much quicker than me texting back. I sometimes, I love voice notes too, but I sometimes send a voice note. But if it's to you, I'll send you a voice note and then also tell you the content of the voice note so that you can just scan it. Yeah, no, I do <laughs> like, see. I appreciate that because I love sending voice notes. But when someone immediately sends me back a voice note, I'm like, oh I can't no, listen to it right now. I'm that's a phone shop. call, you see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you immediately so, respond, that's yeah, a phone call. Yeah, if you call. just like, this This is what it, this is regarding, I'm like, great, great, yeah. yeah. No, no urgency here, just regarding our yeah. appointment in July. Yeah, no, and in fairness, I do do that with my, you know, my friends if I'm or my family. If I send them a long voice note and if it's not urgent, I'm like, this isn't urgent just in case. Yeah. They're like, oh my God, pull over. She's sending me a voice note. When I said that I was having you on the podcast, mm-hmm. I got a couple of messages. Yeah. And um, we've covered a lot of what the questions okay, were. Yeah. But one question was, have you any advice on what to do when it comes to hair falling out and hair thinning? Is there any specific things that you did and is there specific products that you used? So to give context, um, I got a ball patch at the start of lockdown um, and I've suffered with hair loss before I lost all my eyelashes on, on one side um, Do you think that was connected to the eating disorder or is it totally a separate thing? Totally separate so that that happened a year and a half ago Okay Yeah and The, the ball patch or the eyelashes? The eyelashes Okay and then the ball patch was in March just as soon as lockdown started and when I've gone to dermatologists like scalp dermatologists they've just said that it's definitely alopecia areata but obviously it's very hard to be certain because it's only happened twice um and in fairness my my sister has suffered from that as well so uh I initially got such a shock because I remember sitting on the phone to my friend and I just was like rubbing my hands through my hair and I was like that feels so silky smooth and I was like it feels like sticky smooth (laughs) and I like hung up straight away and I went and looked in the mirror and I couldn't believe it was it was pretty it was probably um, perfect circle almost it was a a perfect circle and it was probably the size of a golf ball maybe a little bigger bigger than a two euro coin anyway yeah yeah and I initially I just got I put it up online like and actually sorry about two weeks after I put up online I think the first two weeks I hit it I didn't even show to Zach and it made me realise how much I suppose how much importance I put into hair. Yeah. And I suppose I had never really understood that for me, hair was almost like a security blanket. Mm -hmm. And I felt so like stripped, even though it was a tiny, tiny little patch of hair in the middle of my head Mm -hmm. gone. It made me realise, you know, what a hair loss is so big for women. It's so big and it's scary. My hair fell out and went really thin when I was underweight. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I remember like it was, it's just such a huge thing for women. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I got loads of advice back and lots of people suggested True Hair, which True is True Hair, company. she's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I got on, got on to Claire straight away and she was like, okay, don't worry. What you can do now is make sure that you, whatever hair is left, <laughs> which was, there was loads of hair left, like, let's make that really strong and let's preserve it and let's try really promote the hair growth in that bald spot. And she was like, what you need to do right now is stop stressing because that's not going to help and you need to, I suppose, look forward and feel better that you're going to be fixing this. Mm-hmm. Not fixing it, but I suppose doing the right thing. So I went on a course. I basically went on the set of shampoos and scalp serum from... I think it's better actually not to say products because different people yes. are going to okay, need yeah, different yeah. care and you should probably see True Hair, go to True Hair and go to Claire Balding. Yeah. That's, oh no, she's not on Instagram as Claire Balding no, anymore. Just True Hair, T R U A. Um, but she put you on this course Basically, of shampoos. shampoos, serums. There was like a little derma roller from my ball spot. Um, 
you know, she gave me like a really comprehensive like hair care, like what you should do, and what you shouldn't do. And then tablets. Yeah. And they're probably, you know, I do take a supplement every single morning, but like I religiously take the supplement because I'm like, I want my hair back. back. And my hair has gotten, it's so thick. It's so thick. And, and it has the ball so patch going. Totally gone. gone. So in eight months, it's totally disappeared. And when did you start seeing regrowth? Probably about three months in. Yeah. There was like proper regrowth and they were all white hairs. And now it's probably about three, four inches long and it's dark again. That's amazing. Mm. And I have these little um, baby hairs on my scalp, just at my hairline. And they got really thin and I put it up online and True, I contacted True Hair. She gave me a product, which I did put online, but don't just take the product, contact True and do a consultation. Yeah. They've grown, you basically have a fringe now. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. I basically have a fringe, like they're so thick. Um, I have a tapping in my microphone, which means, yeah, we need to um, wrap it up. But yeah, it's great. But I don't like giving advice like what works for one person particularly when it comes to hair mm. and scalp and because it could be hormonal it could be alopecia oh, it could yeah. be anything yeah, absolutely anything and I do think that there, there is so many but the one thing to mention is there is so many treatments out there yeah don't be scared don't yeah. be ashamed it's totally mm-hmm. uh, not normal but common yeah and uh, yeah there's help out there it also made me realise you know the eyelashes fell out because of a very stressful time and at the start of lockdown I'm a really big hypochondriac and I got really stressed about people in my family who were weren't well I think you know all those whatsapp messages really stress me out and people might be listening to this being like oh my god Roz but I I have a really like I get really scared when it comes to health and I think it's from You're having from sister my sister and, yeah. going through that so um, I just got so stressed that it, that was kind of the catalyst for it so coming around full circle that's why you stopped following the news yeah, as I was much like, Listen, and I need to like cut this this off you know yeah. whatever is and look I still get stressed don't get me wrong and I think having too much time in your own head isn't a great thing either yeah. <laughs> you know I'm like overthinking but um, you know just making sure that I do things to kind of like counteract it a bit and um, what are you looking forward to most now that the 5k is going to be lifted to county wide listen you see me climbing every mountain in Ireland I'm going to be on top of every single mountain as soon as this lockdown lifts I am um, is there a mountain in your 5k at the moment no, there's no mountain. All I have is, I suppose, Kalini Hill. But, you yeah. know, it's been a long time doing that hill now. I'm sick of it. I'm, <laughs> sick, of it. I'm sick of it. So uh, once we get to the 20k limit, there's about five hikes. There's like Tignock, Hoth, Lugala, Jouse, uh, Loch Bray. There's a good few. So I will be on them all the time. I'm looking forward to seeing yes. it. I also saw you in a kayak the other day. Yeah. So actually, at the first lockdown, we got a kayak. So that was probably one of the best things we did because... It got us doing something new. Yes. And also I think, you know, for me when it comes to exercise, like I'd rather move. Yes. I don't like being like I have to, to exercise. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's a cool new way to move, you know. And I am looking forward to taking my surfboard and blowing its cobwebs off. So yes. I'll go out with my surfboard. You can bring your stand up paddleboard or yeah. no. I want to try the stand up paddleboard. Yeah, I have a stand up paddleboard and we actually have two so you can come out with us. Okay, yeah. amazing. And, and I'll stuff. bring my surfboard and yeah. I can teach you. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's Thank been amazing. You. That was this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And I have a surprise for you. For those of you who are Headstuff podcast members who subscribe to my podcast, we have a new BOMA thing going on for the bonus material. Every month, I'm going to do a Zoom hangout with the people who subscribe to the podcast. We've already done one and it was class. I got to hang out. I think maybe 12 or 15 people joined in. They introduced themselves. We had a chat. It turned out basically everyone knows everyone in Ballybunion. And uh, it was just so lovely. So if you're a Headstuff member, 
you will get an email inviting you to the hangout and then just come and we will chat and you can ask me questions or tell me stories and it's just so brilliant thank you to everyone who supports the podcast if you want to also sign up you can go to headstuffpodcast.com our production today was thanks to Alan Bennett as ever our music is by Only Ruin and our graphic design is by Kahlo Gara I'm really looking forward to seeing you next week this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.